So this is weird. <laughs> uh, hi, everybody. Uh, this is Pastor Jeremy, and I'm coming to you from my basement. Um, one of the things that as we launched weekly worship in January that we said uh, that um, that we wanted to be unique about the Grove Cottage Grove is that uh, we take ourselves, we take following Jesus seriously and ourselves less so. And so one of the things that we we said was that um, anytime that you hear the word COVID in worship, you are given the permission to boo. Um, so I'm hoping that when I just said COVID and gave you that opening that you remembered to boo. Um, I'm feeling especially that way today because um, I'm not there with you in person because I tested positive for COVID today. This is Saturday afternoon, um, which is not great, but uh, it is a good reminder that we continue to be in a pandemic, continue to take it seriously, keeping yourself and people around you safe, and we're going to continue to go about this as best as we can. Uh, you're in good hands with Katie and and um, everybody else leading you there in worship this morning. So uh, I will hopefully be back with you next week. Not going to Texas as I had hoped. Uh, first vacation in four years. We had to cancel that. But such is life. COVID. Boo. Um, ironically, one of the things that I wanted to talk about this morning was uh, last week was Easter Sunday. And... Um, it felt really normal. Today does not feel normal, but Easter Sunday felt really normal. Um, we were able to gather together in person. Uh, this was our first Easter as the Grove Cottage Grove. Um, and we were able to gather in person. We were able to do so without masks. We were able to do so without um, social distancing. We didn't have to spread everything way out. And... Um, it just felt normal, like almost like um, we were not still in the middle of a pandemic, nor maybe that um, we'd ever been in a pandemic at all. Anybody else feel that last week? Like it was just so uh, awkwardly even normal. Um, in, the, in the last couple months, couple months ago, maybe, I, I read a relatively new book and this passage in particular really stuck out to me, and I was thinking heavily about this past week. It says this, People don't talk much about the pandemic, but that was a terrible thing. It was like a war. It really was. One funeral after another. We lost so many people. And we got off pretty lucky. People came to church wearing masks, if they came at all. They'd sit as far from each other as they could. There was talk that foreigners had caused it with some sort of secret weapon. And I think people wanted to believe that because it saved them from reflecting on what other meaning it might have. I believe that plague was a great sign to us. And we refused to see it and take its meaning and since then, we have had war continuously. I say this is a relatively new book because uh, these words in this book was not written in 2022. It was not written in 2021. 
it was not even written in 2020. Uh, this book is, uh, this, this passage is from the book Gilead, written by Marilyn Robinson in 2006. And the book's character, who is, is talking in this passage, is reflecting not on the COVID-19 pandemic, but on the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. You know, as a species that has evolved over millions of years, we as humans have gotten really good at avoiding change and failing to adopt new ways of thinking and being. It's like we find what we like, uh, what is comfortable, what is familiar, what is normal, and we stick with it. Uh, not because it works, not because it's the best thing for us, not because it's, it's perfect, but because it is something we like, something that's comfortable, something that's familiar, something that is normal. It's like, even if we're shaken from this normal by, I don't know, a pandemic, we make excuses or conspiracy theories and try to rush back rather than taking it as a sign uh, that with deeper meaning and an opportunity to rethink what is both possible and necessary. Is there a way that we can avoid doing that? Well, that is what this next series that we are beginning today is all about. Today we're kicking off a new series which we're calling Back to Normal. I'm sorry, not Back to Normal, Back to Normal Crossed Out Basics. The idea is that rather than rushing back to normal, perhaps this is actually a time for us to refocus on the basics, what really matters, what really matters now, and what has really mattered all along. In other words, we want to get clear and consistent on what we value, our values, both as individuals and as a church. And to do that over the next five weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're looking at uh, a story in the Bible known as the exile. Now, what I was going to do if I was in person with you today is I was going to have everybody close their eyes and I was going to say, uh, if you have no idea what the exile is, raise your hand. No shame, no guilt, whatever. Raise your hand if you have no idea what the exile is. If you have no idea what the exile is, it is okay. Uh, I did not have any idea what the exile was, even though I grew up in a, a very church, very Christian home until I uh, went to school for this stuff. I'd, I don't even know if I'd heard of the exile before. And what we're going to do today is we're going to present this as a topic that is going to kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of the series, describing what on earth the exile was. The exile is a broad name for this period of time during which the people of Israel and Judah were forcibly removed from their home and everything that was familiar. Um, it, it's like this stake in the ground moment where uh, the people of, of Israel and Judah were able to look at it and say, oh, well, after this, everything is now different. There was a time not too long ago when uh, it may have been difficult to grasp or envision what the experience of the exile was for the people of Israel and Judah. But unfortunately, when you think about the experience of the Jews going in and into exile, you need not look any further than the horrors that we're witnessing coming out of 
uh, Eastern Ukraine perpetuated by the Russians against the people of Ukraine. And I think specifically of the city of uh, Mariupol. Here, here's what's happening both in Ukraine and, and what was happening with the exile. Uh, one of the strongest militaries in the history of the world is rolling in as an occupying force, leveling entire cities, destroying cultural and religious centers, killing indiscriminately, kidnapping people and bringing them far from home where they can be integrated into the empire, effectively wiping out their culture, their identity, saying, uh, you as a person might still exist, but you and your identity no longer exist. Obviously, international war, uh, or international law was not on the books at this time, but as you think about what, what was happening in Israel and Judah, what they endured during the exile, it could fit pretty nicely under the, the United Nations definition of what genocide is. Uh, that definition includes two elements. The first is a mental element, the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such, and a physical element, which includes the following five acts enumerated exhaustively, killing members of the group, causing seriously bo serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. This, these are the details, the horrifying details of what was happening in the exile. And at the same time, one of the things that we're learning from Ukraine is some of the most powerful and, and gut-wrenching things are actually the stories from people living through it. And we have some of that from the Bible as well. This comes from um, Psalm 137, one of these Jewish people describing their own situation. By the rivers of Babylon, we sit down and weep when we remember Zion. On the poplars in her midst, we hang our harps. For there our captors ask us to compose songs. Those who mock us demand that we be happy, saying, Sing for us a song about Zion. How can we sing a song to the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may, you, may my right hand be crippled. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you and do not give Jerusalem priority over whatever gives me the most joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the last day Jerusalem fell. They said, tear it down, tear it down, right to the very foundation. O daughter Babylon, soon to be devastated, how blessed will be the one who repays you for what you dished out on us. How blessed will be the one who grabs your babies and smashes them on a rock. Whew. Yikes. Um, this is a friendly reminder that the Bible is not a children's book. Uh, we get reminded of that every once in a while. This is raw stuff, right? Um, it, it's real stuff, though. How, if you go through a situation like that, as, as horrifying and devastating as that, how can it not shape the way that you see yourselves? God and the world. It can't not, right? And and yet what we find in, in the exile and what happens after the exile is that not everyone sits by the waters of Babylon and weeps. 
not everyone says, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to become Babylonian now. Instead, there's this group of people, sometimes they're called the remnant, who recentered themselves. They, they acknowledged the realities of their changed landscape. And they used it as an opportunity to go back to basics, to what mattered most now and always did. In this exile, this genocidal act that rips away their home, their family, their culture, everything that's familiar, the Jewish people look up to the stars and they start writing down their most important stories. Not just any stories, the, the stories that they want to make sure that they, their kids, their grandkids remember. When we look at the Old Testament, we find memory of the exile throughout its pages and right in the heart of it. Like if, if you literally open up the, the uh, Old Testament, smack dab in the middle is the story of the exile. But on top of that, the, the memory of the exile is like weaved in and out of every single story that we have in the Old Testament. Um, you see, memory is, it's not a transcript of events that happen. It's not like a, a Twitter feed where it's like the, the exact things that are happening as they're happening. Uh, memory is it's shaped and it's constructed to communicate meaning going forward. And so as we read the stories of the Old Testament, we're, we're witnessing memory making from hundreds of years after the events that they're describing. And they're grappling with the meaning of the exile in the process. It's one of those things where once you see it, you can't unsee it. it it's present absolutely everywhere. And honestly, I think that reading the stories of the Old Testament like this as memory making uh, pieces, it makes these stories even more interesting. I could see grandparents uh, sitting in Babylon, looking up at the stars with their, their children and their grandchildren, and they're telling them these most important stories. They're telling them stories like the creation of the world, which was not meant to convey uh, how and when everything came into existence, but more to tell them about the loving God that brought all of it into existence. Stories like uh, the, the story of Adam and Eve, people living in a paradise, but were exiled, sound familiar? Exiled following uh, their selfish deeds. Stories of people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thoroughly imperfect people who said yes to God, even and especially when life was uncertain. Stories like Job, a man who did absolutely everything right and still things went bad for him and there were no answers. Stories that answer basic questions like, who are we? Who is God? What is the world? What went wrong? How can we do better? And most importantly, what do we do now? And then something peculiar happened. Time passed, generation passed, and normal faded from the realm of possibility. Exile, rather than being this new normal, simply became normal. Just in time for another empire known as the Persian Empire to come in and defeat the Babylonians and to come to the Jewish people and say, guess what? You can go home now if you want. 
But there's this open question of, are they going to go home? Uh, they, they've been here for so long, but now this is their normal. This is, for many of them, their home. For, for some of them, the only home that they've ever known. And so would they go back to their home? And if they did, would they remember the lessons and the stories they learned? Or would they just go back to normal? That is the story and the topic we are engaging with for the rest of this series. Now, I just want to be really clear here. Our situation as privileged people living through a pandemic in the wealthiest and most powerful empire in the history of the world is not remotely the same as the Judean exiles, as Native Americans, nor Ukrainians, nor any people who have actually experienced genocide or displacement. Those things are, our situation is not comparable. It's just not. And, and sometimes looking at the most extreme examples is the best way to like get, get ourselves unsettled to look into our own situation. A little over two years ago, we were shaken from our normal by a once in a century pandemic almost overnight, our understanding of, of basically the whole world shifted. Very little felt safe, right? Very little felt familiar. And those shifts, they revealed these fractures, these fractures in ourselves, fractures in our relationships, in our social infrastructure, in our institutions, fractures that if, if we acknowledge them would maybe reshape the way we understand ourselves, God, and the world. But we are privileged people living through a pandemic in the wealthiest and most powerful empire in the history of the world. In so, and in so many more ways than the majority of people in the world, that privilege, that wealth, that power, has given us the opportunity to forget. Forget those lessons and go back to normal if we choose. So the question for you, and the question for me, the question for us is, will we? Will we go back to normal? Well, I cer certainly hope not. <laughs> Otherwise, this is going to be a bummer of a series. Uh, there's a leadership quote that says, never let a good crisis go to waste. We have found ourselves in a crisis, and it is not time to let that crisis go to waste. If something is fundamentally broken, why would we want to go back to it? So instead of rushing back to normal, a normal that might not yet actually exist, I'm convinced that now is the time for us as individuals, for us as people as faith, to go back to the basics, not to rebuild with these blocks that were, were torn down and clearly not, uh, not up to the quality that they need to be, but stripping things down to the very foundation, to the basics, to the most important things now that always have been, and then building on that. And I believe that if we do that, if we're open to doing that, the things that we rebuild are going to be beautiful. They're going to be more beautiful than the things that they are replacing it's going to provide a more beautiful picture of ourselves, of God, and of the world.
So I hope that you'll join us in doing that. I hope that you'll join us for this series. Yeah, but I hope that you'll also uh, engage in this actual work as a church and as individuals. And as Marilyn Robinson says in her book, Gilead, I believe this plague was a great sign to us. And I pray that we will take its meaning. Let that be so.